Hello and welcome to another SPAC Insider podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking with Andre Federico, General Manager for Latin America from Semantics, and Raphael Steinhauser, co-founder and CEO of Alpha Capital. Semantics entered into a $693 million combination agreement with Alpha Capital Acquisition Company in November. It is becoming a leading regional player in the Latin American cloud and data services market out of its base in Brazil. We discuss the advantages of the region from an investment standpoint and how Semantics still has significant white space to conquer. We also get into Alpha Capital's search process and the benefits it found in focusing on finding a Latin American technology partner from the start. Take a listen. Just first off, Andre, you know, as one of the most prominent Latin American-based SPAC deals, I thought it would be a good place to start. Just how different is the cloud data services space between Brazil and its neighbors and and the United States? Well, first of all, when we're looking to our uh, market here in Brazil, we have been advancing a lot in terms of implementation of, of technologies and in terms of, let's say, innovation and, and, and digitalization of all businesses. And this is not different when we think, uh, of course, it reflects a lot when you think in terms of cloud adoption, which we see as the first move of companies that are starting to digitalize. And then when we talk about data, it's usually the second step that companies will start looking once they have already de- done their, their first move or their, their first homework in terms of moving uh, most of their environments or most of their infrastructure into the cloud. And this is where we come in. Most of the times we're coming into clients that are, uh, let's say, in a, in a more mature stage in terms of digitalization or in terms of cloudification. But data is still, uh, especially when we look not only to the, to the large enterprise, but when we start looking into more mid-sized companies, it's still something that is in an early stage, uh, an important growth in terms of adoption. Um, many companies are starting to discuss adoption and, and wanting to, to discuss this kind of adoption. But in fact, this is, uh, we understand this is a big opportunity for us. The main reason that they are not adopting is not because they don't want and because they, or because they don't need, but because they see that as a very, very complex and expensive project and that's where what where we come in uh, the idea of semantics is to really bring into the market a solution that is simple it's fast to implement it's a solution that is uh, what we call all in one so we offer all the steps of this journey of data in one solution and by offering these components we understand that we bring in a, a lot less complexity for these kind of companies that want to do that, that think this is very relevant, but they're not being able to do that because the kind of options that they have in the market until today, they are very, very expensive to implement. So that's how we've been seeing the market here in the region. Yeah, great. And, and a similar question for you, Rafa, in that you came up through Cisco and Qualcomm in Latin America and you've been working firsthand to develop the TMT sector and kind of in general and, and these sorts of tech services for, for businesses. What have you been seeing just in terms of the opportunity in the region now that everything is moving to the cloud? I will answer in two parts. First, to Latin America. Yes, we have seen the blossoming of technology adoption in the region, combination of things over the last several years. 
mobility and the access to the cloud has significantly increased. Latin America is the region with the highest internet usage in the world today, 10 hours per person per day. Uh, coupled with banking inclusion, Brazil, as an example, has one of the most advanced fintech regulation and logistics delivery of goods has dramatically improved. That drove the very fast adoption of technology of the over 650 million people that live in Latin America, of course, accelerated during the pandemic times. This technology expansion coupled with great entrepreneurship talent and high VC and PE investments of over 20 billion in 2021, continuing to flow in into 22, drove the rapid growth of the technology industry with now over 40,000 startups and accelerated the growth of many of those companies producing 34 new unicorns only last year and many valuable significant players emerged and are now listed in the US such as the $40 billion Mercado Libre in e-commerce, $20 billion FinTech Nubank and even in software we have companies conquering the world like Globant now little under 10 billion US dollar market cap and now specifically so to the data segment and semantics itself Semantics picked up on this growth of technology adoption and emerged as the leading data platform in Latin America. And we as Alpha Capital are very glad to be merging with this splendid company with unique attributes in the data analytics and AI field. And the principal uh, attributes are it combines high growth with profitability, very uh, unusual to see in the data analytics segment in particular. Data analytics itself is no doubt one of the top two or three hottest categories going forward in the world and of course as well in the region. Uh, semantics enjoys a strong number one position position in data analytics and AI in Latin America, initially offering third-party uh, platform integration, but over the last five years transitioning to its own proprietary end-to-end -end data offering with unique features, making the data journey very simple, agile, secure, and extremely cost-efficient. And next item is the vast majority of its business is SaaS software as a service with very high NDR, of nearly 140%. And last but not least, it has a splendid leadership team under Leo Santos, CEO, and uh, here on this call, Andre, as the, um, as the head of the Latin American operation. Great. And, and Andre, that's what I wanted to get into next, just in terms of semantics as services. Could you get into that product line a little bit and, and how much of, of those products are fully recurring subscription-based and how much is that usage fees and, and things like that? No, definitely. I think as uh, as, uh, as Rafa uh, mentioned, we are a 11 years old company, born in Brazil, grown in Brazil. I think we've we've been doing uh, in these 11 years a very important role in terms of really evangelizing the usage of data as something that we can companies can use for business decision. Well, starting with business decision and today even monetizing this data, right? This is, has been what we've been uh, looking and thinking all the time in terms of how we can provide to clients the best, the best solutions. I think the beauty of our portfolio, of our offering portfolio, is that also, as Rafa mentioned, we started in the back 
as a company that was a service provider of in, in the data, let's say, space and offering also uh, market solutions that were not proprietary. On the last years, we've been developing and focusing a lot on our proprietary solutions. We have today a data platform that is a complete data platform or starting from data in, the ingestion of data, which is basically the way we think is but how we connect all the platforms that clients use in the market. So being CRM platform that they use, ERPs uh, and other uh, like e-commerce marketplace and, and other platforms that they use, how we connect the data that are under all these platforms that they use, we bring in into a data lake, then how we apply our solution in terms of already starting to clean up this data and organize this data so this, this data can be used by their data scientists or data engineers. And then we also bring into in our platform solutions for or a module for the data scientists so they can work over this data and work on models, for instance, for revenue predictability or for creating any statistic model based on the data. And the way we think about all these stages is that we want to give power for these data professionals because we understand that they want to have the possibility of modeling themselves or doing some customization themselves. But we also have a big concern in bringing the more plug and play or a lot of features or components that already preset, like for instance, data ingestion connectors that are already preset, data visualization dashboards that are already preset, algorithms inside the platform that are already preset so the scientists can work on, with these already preset and they can either make something more sophisticated on top of it or use this as a component or use it as a standalone solution. So for instance, we have inside the platform some, some algorithms like for next best offer for hospitals. For instance, we have an algorithm that, that works with uh, helping them in predictability of the number of rooms that they need to have available once they start receiving their patients or their clients. Uh, so this is the kind of concern that we have throughout all the platform, you know, giving power, but also giving the possibility for clients that do not have a big team of data engineers, and they still want to work on data, but without having the, the capacity of creating from scratch everything they want to do. The, and this combining with the services we offer and also with the third-party components that we bring in, we understand that this is a very, very comprehensive and very complete tool because we can help enterprises that need probably something more complex and with uh, uh, something that we complement with services and third-party components, but we also have a very, very comprehensive and very complete solution that we understand like for middle market companies, our platform really offers everything inside it in a very simple, very agile, very quick to implement and very low maintenance mode uh, so they can do it themselves in a very easy way. That's how we've been thinking and how we feel that we can bring a lot of difference into the market. Right. And you've also managed to grow fairly fast to this point with third-party partners doing a large amount of your client sourcing. So do you plan to continue to really lean on those relationships or perhaps have your in-house sales team take on more of the load? Yeah. How we've been approaching the market in terms of, in terms of our uh, sales efforts. 
experts, right? We basically think it's, we have two ways of going to the market. One is the direct sourcing way. We have a very relevant team of sales professionals inside our company that we divide them basically in three different zones, let's say. So we have the key account managers, which focus on the very large enterprises. So that's, that's one of the teams. We have a team that is focused, uh, focused on corporate accounts. And this is a, these are companies, let's say in Brazil, they're amongst the top 2000 companies in Brazil. So there are companies that they're still very large, but they are not the biggest, the top 500 companies in Brazil. For these two markets, we still have a very direct approach. Uh, we still uh, rely a lot on our sales team. Of course, we use digital marketing. We have our SDRs or BDRs working, working opening these opportunities, but we're still working on a very direct way. When we move down one more step, we have a sales team that is oriented to the middle market, what we call middle market, which is the main focus for our platform, for instance. For this market, we, we do go uh, reach our clients directly and we also maintain these clients directly, but we have a very relevant uh, program of a partners program, which is our own partners program that we have been investing a lot in expanding this partners program. Basically, because even with a very important sales team, we cannot reach out to the whole country. Uh, Brazil is a, is, a, is a very large country. So we cannot reach out to the whole country. And especially when we go out to Latin America and the US, we see that as a very relevant point of entry in this market. And also when we think about partners, uh, we have these partners that belong to our partners program, which is semantics program, but we also have our technology partners. So for instance, the hyperscaler clouds, they are our technology partners. Our product is uh, on their marketplace, and they are also a very important channel for us to sell our products, uh, not only in Brazil, but also globally. So this is basically how, how we see uh, our go-to-market strategy today and going forward. Got it. And so as mentioned, you're currently present in three Latin American markets as well as the United States. So does your product offering differ at all between those markets? And given that you're doing so much business in longer contracts, how have you been impacted by inflation and the various dynamics with all the, the different currencies? No, perfect. So, so starting from the approach in terms of products uh, that we have for these markets, I think, uh, well, as, as I mentioned before, the way we've been, uh, we developed the company like in these 11 years. So in Brazil, we have the full offering and we've been putting a lot of focus into to increase the relevance of our own product. When I think about new uh, regions that we are entering, we are starting uh, our entry with our own product. Basically, because we don't have initially a big team or a, a delivery team that we can also offer services. So the way we think is that we really have to start with our own product. But as we move forward, we understand that we are going to be, uh, it's going to be necessary for us to also offer services to these clients. The main focus when we are opening these new markets is really the middle market, which we think requires initially less involvement of services. So that's why we're looking into our own product. But 
Once we start moving also to enterprises, we are pretty sure that we also will need to offer service. So that's how we've been approaching in terms of offering to different uh, regions. In terms of inflation in Brazil, we the contracts that we have in Brazil, they are all all adjust. They have uh, uh, components that it's, it's inside the contract already clauses that protect ourselves against inflation. So the contracts are adjusted annually by inflation. Usually it's very common in Brazil to have that. Usually we use a basket or a, a, an inflation index that we consider for that. When you think about contracts that are outside Brazil, they are in their majority, they are in US dollars. So the revenues come in US dollars um, and, and most of our costs are, are in Brazil. Uh, so we are still, until today, we're still very protected because not only inflation, uh, we have inflation, but also currency protects us a lot in terms of, of this country. So basically, this is the, the way we've been protecting ourselves uh, in this kind of situation. And then I also see that you're now eyeing new markets as well. Can you talk a bit about your strategy for entering those? Yes, definitely. Well, basically, like in Latin America, that we are already more mature, let's say in countries in Latin America outside Brazil, right? Uh, every time we talk about Latin America, we have to clarify that there is Brazil and there is the other countries. But in the, uh, we started, of course, in Brazil. But uh, the way we've moved to other countries was uh, we, we started moving, saying the initially on opportunity based so we thought when we had an opportunity of, of selling to a client, then we start reaching out this client. And once we had a client, then we decided to establish. And this is because basically several years ago, we didn't have the capital to invest upfront right before having clients. Right now, the last expansions that we have done in the region, we have already uh, expanded like putting uh, sales teams locally. Usually have not only sales teams, but we also have technical architects. Uh, so basically, we always open the market with this double team, sales and architects, because the, architect, uh, the sales, they cannot uh, work on engaging clients without, without having a more technical person that can help either in defining the architecture, either in defining what's the best, the best way to approach this client, but also in, in working in POCs, uh, in proof of concepts or uh, in demos with this client. So very important to have this double team here in architects and, 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 and sales team. Uh, same thing that we are doing right now in the US. So this is how we always start. And next step, we start bringing in uh, delivery teams or uh, support teams like market, local marketing and other things. So that, that's how we have been doing this expansion. And basically, the way we decide to expanding the team is as we start engaging more clients and having more revenues in these countries, then we, decide, we start investing more locally. And initially, uh, we've been doing uh, all the support for these regions throughout Brazil because the teams that we have here, we have a lot of uh, English-speaking people or Spanish-speaking people that can support that. So that's how we've been moving. One more point that has been very helpful also is to find local partners that can help us in this expansion. So like finding uh, system integrators that can help in this, in, this, in, this, in this expansion or finding, uh, for instance, companies that are already used to implement data solutions to local companies 
this has been also been very helpful. For instance, in Mexico, this has been a very successful engine. Right now, we are doing the same in Colombia. We're doing the same in the U.S. So this is something that we believe is, is going to be very powerful, uh, expand, expanding into other regions globally. Uh, maybe I can complement saying the proceeds that are going to come from the merger are going to be used also in part to expand geographically, to support the geographic expansion. And there, two things are natural for that. One is the going with the companies that are already customers of semantics in the region to these new regions, wherever they act in a multinational fashion. And the other one is to go and address some portions of the market that are not yet well served in data analytics and AI, which are the mid and low size companies that cannot afford much and that cannot that cannot handle much complexity. The semantic solution, as mentioned, is an all-in-one solution that is very cost-effective and very simple to be implemented. So that's these are natural territories for expansion of semantics in other geographies. Great, and I want to continue on that a little bit with uh, with you, Rafa, because should acquisitions and, and M&A, you know, end up being a, a good way of, of making this sort of expansion. Just from your perspective, having you've been looking at targets all for the past year, um, what can you tell us about the Latin American market's dynamics from a valuation standpoint? Yeah, uh, as I mentioned before, Latin America has been growing significantly and produced a number of very large, very healthy, very nice tech companies with great leaders that at some point in time merit to become public. And if they are good enough, then to become public in the prime market, which is the US in NASDAQ. And getting to NASDAQ is not simple, in particular for a Latin American company that doesn't have the necessary experience and talent that you have when you grow in the US itself to become public in the US. So uh, having this opportunity to merge with another company that is already public in the SPAC mode can be very helpful for many companies. I think there is space for many of those companies in the near future to become public in the US. And we have, when we started to look into that field after we went public in February of 2021, as the first SPAC devoted to technology in Latin America, we investigated, we looked into about 100 companies in the region that might be mature for that type of transition. And we selected 12 that we engaged more deeply. And out of those, we finally selected and uh, signed a merger agreement with semantics that all of that process happened from february to november we announced the merger agreement in november and uh, we not only did that but also we created before signing the merger agreement a pipe so to secure the transaction to make this transaction um, absolutely firm and in, independent on the redemption rate that there might be we didn't really know in november of last year that the redemption rate would go higher and higher over the last several months but we did have this pipe in place and, and close the deal in november and announced it with semantics Again, I think uh, SPACs have their role. Today, we are kind of on a roller coaster, if you wish, with SPACs because of the regulatory changes that are being proposed 
and will be implemented, but they, they have a space there. They, there is a group of companies that can benefit from this transition to the public markets in a SPAC mode. And if that is true for North America, it is even more true for Latin America for the reasons I mentioned before. Yeah, you, you just jumped into what I wanted to get into next, which was your process as well. It through a very interesting year in the SPAC market. But for one thing, I mean, one one thing that we were hearing a lot from SPAC teams, at least in the the U.S. market, in, in terms of looking for targets, was that it was it was so saturated that you know every you know there are five SPACs targeting every company practically. But I imagine you didn't have quite as much. You weren't bumping into quite as many SPACs in, in Latin America being specialized as you are there. So I was just interested in you know how that was going in, in terms of that part of the process and also uh, as you mentioned getting a pipe together before the pipe market got even more difficult but i imagine even in uh, november that wasn't the easiest thing yeah that is true it was a very interesting and exciting journey and it is, continues to be we are not yet process is not yet finalized but we are very close to that it has been quite exciting i would say we have been the first spac that devoted to technology in latin america that has been announced in february last year after us, several others came out with the same purpose, about four or five. And I think there is space for this amount of SPACs or even more. And it is not at all saturated as it is in the US nowadays with hundreds of SPACs out there looking for a target. But maybe one challenge we had as a, the first ones coming out was to educate the market because it was not really very well known or understood how the SPAC works and what the advantages are for SPAC. So we did some education in the region, but soon enough, people understood the benefits of that. And we had the opportunity to select the company we wanted to address. And for several reasons, as I mentioned before, semantics showed up as being this very special jewel, high potential company for the future that merited big becoming public in the US, so to equip themselves for a greater days coming up in the near future. So we have the, the chance to select the company and, uh, and at the same time, we said, well, let us be playing safe. Let us build a pipe. Uh, so at, at the time we signed the agreement so that we are independent from the market uh, mode. So can we build a pipe later on or not? Can we, are we going to face high redemptions or not? We want to be secure. And we built this pipe. The pipe is one a $170 million pipe on additional to our $230 million uh, SPAC in trust, man in trust uh, of the 117.23 is a non-redemption agreement and all the rest is fresh money uh, in part contributed by the current shareholders of Semantics that double down on the company and to some degree other very well-known investors from the region and even my co-founder Alec Oxenfoder and myself contributed to the pipe in order to secure, as I mentioned, a trajectory that would be um, safe and secure. And here we are uh, in June of 2022 in a mo moment where everything is quite um, uncertain. Pa raising pipes is very difficult and uh, redemptions are, redemption rates are very high. But as I mentioned before, even in case we experience a large redemption rate, the 117 million we secured are sufficient for semantics to fully carry out on the business plan that was presented 
and that basically is going to use the money for, as we mentioned before, geographic expansion, for development of the product, and for enhancing the own team in Brazil and abroad. So that is uh, what we have been able to build. And as mentioned, we are just about to finalize the process and hopefully very soon we are going to be merged and Semant is going to be pub public company in the NASDAQ. Great. Yeah. And I wanted to get Andre's kind of side of that conversation and that process a little bit as well. Just given how this is a, you know, a somewhat of a, a first or a new thing in, in Latin America in terms of SPACs, you know, when did the potential of a SPAC deal first pop onto your horizon? And how did you come to the decision to go that route rather than continued private raises or, or angle towards an IPO eventually as an alternative? No, perfectly. It's a well. It's a it's a very important moment for the company, right? Uh, it's a, of course it's a very important move, a very important and very relevant move move for the company. Um, I think uh, initially is like it has uh, always been the dream of the company to be a, a public company, and especially a company that is uh, uh, traded in in Nasdaq, right? Because first, because uh, of course we understand that this. Um, brings a, a very important stamp in terms of for a for a technology company right and, and as a tech a, a deep tech that we are which is a company that not only does not offer um, applied technology but we offer really the technology itself for companies to use this technology to transform their business we always have seen this as a as a business that has to be global by being listed uh, in Nasdaq, this puts us in a in a in a very different uh, dimension, a very different league, right? So we understand this is it's a very important move for us, uh, of course, uh, in terms of raising money and being able to do the investments uh, we need for this expansion, as Rafa mentioned. Uh, so uh, raise money for uh, for M and A, so to acquire companies that can bring to us an opportunity to expand into new regions, companies that can bring in new technologies, technologies that would take a couple of years to, to develop, and we can accelerate this development by bringing in companies. But also the fact that, that we are going to have a very different visibility, understand that this, especially when we think about expanding to the U.S. market, uh, by being a company that is listed in NASDAQ, we understand it's going to be a very, very relevant upside and a very important stamp for us to, to go into this company. So this is, of course, the first motivation, right? We could do that uh, directly with a, a traditional IPO process, or we do through a SPAC. We found in, in Alpha a very important partner to go into this process. I'm not sure if I can say in a smoother way, but because uh, uh, it has been so smooth uh, recently, right, Rafa? But uh, Definitely on a way that is, uh, we are not alone. We are, we have a partner that's together with us that uh, is helping us a lot in terms of thinking how we do this move, how we are building the, the global expansion. Uh, so I think we bring in the mix of having uh, a, a partner, which is like a, a more similar to a private equity partner, but also uh, being listed on, on a very relevant market such as NASDAQ. I think that's that's pretty much what we, we, we saw. I would like to compliment a little bit here. And as this podcast is called SPAC Insider, I wanted to give some feedback on, uh, on, on the SPAC function itself. And although it is our first SPAC, we got this great experience of living through that. And I would say we have two differentiations. Uh, from 
possibly many other sparks. One is the purpose, as mentioned, we were very focused on technology in Latin America, identifying the need for that in the region and counting on the experience that my co-founder Alec and me have in the region after several decades of working here. And the other one is the quality we bring to semantics, to our uh, company that we are going to merge with, starting with the founders. Alec, my co-founder, has been uh, founding and leading companies from zero to unicorn and not only once but several times and that gave and not only latin america but outside uh, the region as well gave him quite a wealth of experience and myself i worked 37 years in the industry 20 as a ceo in the region of multinational companies my last one 10 years at qualcomm and within qualcomm during my period uh, we created uh, Qualcomm Ventures Latin America, uh, which became eventually the largest corporate investor up to today in the region, fostering several unicorns that emerged in that period of time. And we brought this experience to share that with the company, equip the company, support the company, supplement the company for them to make this transition, which is not simple, from a Latin American private company to a global Nasdaq-based public company. Our team is also very experienced. We have a CFO, US CFO, that added a lot of value. We have a chief strategy officer that has passed through, lived through five different SPACs before this one. And we have as well an investor team, our anchor investor, Innova Capital, that brought a lot of experience as well to the table. And needless to say, our play with the two main shareholders of Semantics was and is very good. Bradesco, second largest bank in Brazil, and Crescera, one of the leading PE and venture funds in the region. So we were able to build a team that made this transition much easier, much easier than if it would have done, uh, than if semantics would have gone the classical traditional IPO route. I wanted to mention that because it shows that there is a space for SPACs in the world. I still believe even after this crisis we are living here, we will see that continuing. And in particular for Latin America, if you have the right setup, the right purpose, and the right talent within this pack. Back to you. Definitely. And, and for Andre, you touched upon this briefly, but what do you see as the biggest advantage semantics can take away from being publicly listed in general? Yeah, we'll get a lot more visibility than we have today. Uh, uh, clients, uh, they value that a lot. Uh, I mean, just by speaking with our clients today, that we are in this process, that we are becoming this company. Uh, they value this a lot. And they value not only because of, you know, of being a public company, but everything that, that you bring in in order to be a public company, right? So in terms of governance, in terms of uh, controls, uh, by being a public company trading the US, uh, there are other things like SOX uh, and other things that we need to comply. Some right now, some throughout time, but uh, in fact, things that we have to work in order to, to be uh, able to play in this league. These are company, components that are very important. I think some other companies that are relevant. Uh, when we think of, about attracting talents to the company, of course, uh, we can have long-term incentive programs uh, like RSU, stock options, even by being a private company. 
but it's completely different, right? The kind of liquidity and the kind of differentiator that we bring in once we are a public traded company, we are a company that is that, that they can have a lot more liquidity in these components and these benefits that we bring to them. So this is one uh, component that is very important in terms of attracting talent. Uh, this component is also, especially when we think about our shares as being a very relevant tool. Uh, when we think about acquiring new companies, uh, if we are a public company, especially, this uh, brings us a very important tool of having our own stocks as a, a, a portion or a component that we can use in these negotiations. And even a more qualitative, uh, in a more qualitative way, you know, companies that we approach uh, in terms of, of M&A, uh, they tend to be more attracted in being part, uh, like founders, uh, they, they, they tend to be more attracted in the story of being part of a, a NASDAQ listed company, uh, right? Because especially com tech companies, they want to have this, uh, they always dream about, you know, uh, well, first being unicorns, being public traded uh, in a in stock exchange like NASDAQ. These are things that change completely. I think the environment of the company, the environment with clients, the, the environment uh, with employees, and mostly with all stakeholders that we are involved. This really uh, brings a different effect over how people are looking into ourselves. And the public listing certainly seems like it would give you a leg up over local competitors, but do you see the competition for clients in your markets coming from more local players or multinationals these days? We don't have many local players that compete, especially when we think about our solution, our end-to-end. -end. It's only one solution. When you think about specific models of our solution, we have some local companies, but most of the, the, the competitors really come from, uh, from global companies. And, and this is another topic that makes a lot of difference of us also being a listed company, becoming a more and more uh, uh, really a global company, a company that is seen as a company that has capacity, not only financial resources to invest and to grow, but also capacity of using this uh, present, global presence as as something that we can use in terms of developing new products, bringing new technologies. Uh, as, the, as I said, I think by being a company that, is, uh, that has access to these markets, we can acquire companies that bring in new technologies. We can hire people from like the U.S. market that bring already a big experience in, in data projects uh, for several companies. Uh, and also we can develop, uh, uh, like today we have our data labs uh, here in Brazil. Uh, we are also thinking uh, or we are planning to expand our data labs, in, for instance, to the U.S. So if we have these centers of innovation, centers of develop, technology development, this also brings us uh, to the same league, let's say, that global players that compete with us today offer to clients that we are competing together. Even though we have competitors, we see that we are, we are knocking on a, with a very, very relevant uh, and very important edge the way we've been approaching because we see we have a very unique offering today, uh, which uh, this middle market clients, we see that they are very unserved today. Uh, and that's one of the main reasons that they're not uh, completely exploring this data environment. So once we bring in our solution that is a lot less complex, easy to implement, 
and very cost effective. Uh, we see that, uh, I mean, we are, we are helping these clients to enter into this market and, and therefore uh, to sort of say democratize uh, the enter of new companies into this market. That's how we've been uh, thinking and working on our day by day that we think we really can help several companies to start exploring this opportunity that Beta brings into their business. And you mentioned it there as, uh, a little bit, but I just wanted to follow up real quick on that, that subject of, of acquisitions moving forward. Do you have a preference uh, in terms of how much cash or how much stock you would be leveraging on those deals uh, as kind of a rule of thumb? I mean, we, we don't look too much in terms of uh, if it's, it's either cash or, uh, or let's say, uh, stocks. Uh, we really look into the way that if it's either upfront cash or some sort of payment, like an earnout payment that is connected somehow into the value, the future valuation of the company. This future, this earnout component can be paid through cash, but cash that is only achieved upon very relevant and very very clear KPIs, right? And, and KPIs that, of course, are connected with the valuation of the business uh, going forward. This can be either paid through cash or paid through equity. What we see uh, as a value of paying uh, with equity as well is that when we pay only with cash, we are connecting the founder's view and the founder's future with the business plan. But we are only connecting to the business plan. It's it's a lot. It, uh, usually, we are not connecting uh, to semantics at a glance. Business plan. We are connecting to the specific business plan of the company we are acquiring. When we bring in the stock components, we are also bringing the connection to the whole semantics uh, business plan. So that's the beauty that we think we can bring uh, by adding the stock component also to the acquisitions. Yeah, I just want to compliment if possible. On M&As, there is most of the times a combination between cash and uh, stock. And in both cases, cash and stock are better off. You're better off when you're public than when you're private, when you're public in NASDAQ than when you're private in Latin America. So making this transition, now in this case through a SPAC, helps a lot on the M&A strategy, as much as it helps on retaining and getting new employees on board. So yes, uh, this transition private Latin America to public US is going to help a lot on M&As, both on the cash component, the proceeds that are coming from this transaction and the liquidity the company is going to have, the access to capital in very different terms than, than the capital in Latin America, which is very expensive, as well as into the value these merged companies will see in the stock of this traded, publicly traded company in the US. Back to you. And then just in general, what is the thing that you're most excited about coming out of the cloud next? One of the things that are going to happen in the near future is Web3 3.0. Within that, Freealm as well, the metaverse, and both elements are in the view of Leo Santos, the CEO of Semantics and a visionary person that is already experiencing, experimenting a little bit on both dimensions. And they both are going to be radically changing the way in which we operate as companies, as economies and as, as persons, as people. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, of course, there, is, uh, there are things like, um, uh, like uh, Rafa mentioned, uh, quantum computing is also something that we see 
uh, on the long term is going is going to change a lot the way the way we process data the way the way we can offer uh, solutions uh, uh, over data but some things that are already uh, we are already seeing and that we are already bringing to the market that we see as a very big differentiators in in bringing innovations is really to bring more and more uh, so data solutions that are based on uh, not on technology itself, but how we apply uh, data to industries, right? To what we call uh, vertical building blocks that we have. We've been seeing more and more the needs of uh, business areas wanting to use data, but they, they, they are not different from technical areas that they know exactly how to build it, how to use uh, uh, the data, how to bring data, uh, uh, let's say data sources into their models uh, and how to build models from scratch. When we are talking to business areas, let's say health, for instance, which is uh, an area that we, we've been exploring a lot and we see a, a huge opportunity, a lot of opportunity of using data but a very low maturity yet in terms of how to use this. We see that uh, these, let's say, industry-specific components, there are more, less technical, but there are more problem-solution-driven. It's something that is changing a lot the way that uh, data uh, technology is applied. Uh, something that uh, until today has been a lot uh, used by um, very technical people, uh, data science, data engineers, and Harry has required a lot the usage of this kind of people. Uh, we see that by bringing these problem-solving solutions uh, on a solution that is more and more plug-and-play to our clients also disrupts the way they consume this kind of technology because they start consuming this kind of technology on a way that they do not need to be very knowledgeable in terms of technology and how to uh, to use uh, technology itself, but they only need to know how to how to solve a problem that they have on their day by day. Can I can I complement as well? Just on the technology side related to data, short term, two things happening: the capability of handling real time a massive amount of data coming in, ingesting, processing, applying intelligence, and sharing out. All of that in real time accelerates massively the chance of impacting processes in the industry, in finance, in, in other areas. The other one is MLOps, a, a new way of structuring data processing end-to-end, -end, which facilitates, makes it much easier for data engineers and data analysts to handle and play with data. And in the midterm, quantum computing of course quantum is going to enable us to process a huge amount of data we today collect and we will collect more and more data that is not really used or processed because we don't have these capabilities of processing so much information and quantum computing is the big hope of going much deeper much broader into the data world than we are doing today. We are seeing the first steps happening as we speak, and most likely in two, three, four years, that's going to become little by little a reality, improving many things like cybersecurity and other processes that require very high computational capabilities that quantum computing can offer us. 
Great. Uh, before I let you gentlemen go, do you have um, just a quick update in terms of the uh, the timeline of, of completing the transaction in terms of where things stand now? I know uh, some of these reviews have gotten a little bit longer these days. We have <laughs> announced the merger agreement in November of 2021. And in February, we filed an F4 with the SEC for requesting a merger between Alpha Capital and Semantics. Since then, we have been in dialogue, several rounds of questions and answers with the SEC, and we much uh, look forward to completing this process very, very soon within the next couple of weeks. Immediately after that, we'll uh, proceed to get the F4 effective uh, call-in for the general shareholders meeting, get the voting uh, into the transaction done, and immediately after that being listed. This should happen within the next 30 to 40 days. Great. Well, it's certainly going to be fun to keep an eye on, and I'm sure both SPACs and SPAC investors, um, after listening to this, are going to be paying a lot more attention to Latin America and the opportunities over there. Can't wait to see how this all comes together. And thanks so much for both of you being on. Thank you, Nick, so much. And Marlena, thank you. Thanks a lot, Nick. Nick and Marlena, thanks a lot. It was a, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. Likewise.